0: This is Pastor James Guyo and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a sovereign grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com, to hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berian Sovereign, and you will see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may He serve you for His sake, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of His gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your presence, your holy presence, Lord, to honor your name, to honor you, for you are worthy of glory and praise, majesty and dominion, Lord, because you alone are God, even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray and we thank you for revealing yourself to us through Him and by Him and through your Holy Spirit and the teaching of your Word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the spiritual eyes to see and hear spiritual things. Lord, I just pray again to ask for help in understanding these difficult matters of salvation, the origin of things, why things. These are things that we struggle with, and yet we know, Lord, that you know all things. So help me, Lord, to speak clearly and truthfully. And may you forgive where I stray, Lord, and show me the truth. I pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are going to be talking about a very difficult topic that requires a lot of grace to understand and grace to teach. And it is the subject of sin, the gospel, and Christ's glory. Because for anyone who is asking questions and reading the scriptures and having some understanding of God's sovereignty, they have to come to some point where they realize that sin did not just happen by accident. Because if we say that, we are saying God doesn't know what he is doing and he was caught unawares when things were happening in the Garden of Eden. We have to understand what God's business is. God's business is glory. God's business is glory. And if we preach the gospel, if we try to understand anything outside that context, we shall be like one who is boxing against the wind. If we fail to understand the preeminence of Christ and the preeminence of God's glory, we shall not be able to understand anything. And so this message, this sermon is an attempt to bring some understanding on the relation and function of sin in the revelation of the glory of God in Christ. And I pray that you would pray for yourself. I pray that you would pray for yourself before you listen. That you may be given understanding of what it is that I've been given to share. We are going to begin our teaching by reading a couple of verses. And then we'll talk to the verses. We will talk about a whole lot of other scriptures. And it says a lot of things. And so, be patient. (laughs) Be patient. So we'll begin our reading from Galatians 2, verse 21, which says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Philippians 3, Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. The Apostle Paul writes and says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ or that which is by the faith of Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Galatians 2 verse 16 Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law but by the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Romans 11.36 For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Ephesians one ten to 10-11 That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. John 3 verse 35. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. John 5 verses 20 to 23. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him the words of the Lord. I shall be working my teaching, my theology from these verses and others to be supplied later in the teaching. And I've titled this teaching Sin, the Gospel, and Christ's Glory. I will not waste much time doing theological speculations about the origin of sin because if anything exists, It only does so by God's will and God's power and purpose. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Hear this. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Hear that. For you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. Now you tell me what is excluded from all things that exist and were created. Colossians 1, 16-17 For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So all things were created through him and for him. All things. Sinners do not understand this. Sinners do not understand this because if they did, they would stop all their useless speculations that never answer the question of the why of sin. If the why of sin is not answered correctly, then the who of sin will be speculated forever. Hear me. To understand what is going on, you have to answer the why of sin, why does sin exist in the first place? But we know this from Romans 11:36. Apostle Paul writes and says, "For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen." For of him means of God. God is the first cause of all things of Him, whether visible or invisible, whatever exists is of Him, He is the first cause. And through Him, that is through Christ, means He empowers all things that exist, whether they be visible or invisible. Nothing exists outside the power of Christ. Verse 36 of Romans, Eleven brackets all things that exist and nothing can be removed from those brackets without destroying the force of that statement verse 36 of romans 11 is just too important a verse to be understood if you understand romans 11 36 then you understand a lot of things you understand everything You will understand everything. Romans 11.36 For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So of him are all things. All things have their origin from God as the first cause. Why? Because to him are all things. Why? Because to whom be glory forever. Amen. Which means no argument. Let it be as God has said. If men would understand this, they would be worshipping God with more reverence rather than saying all kinds of useless theological speculations about sin that removes Christ and God's glory as the reason why all things are what they are. If sin came by the devil's decree, then God is really Ashamed of himself for allowing such a blemish into his perfect creation that he controls. He slept on the job. He slept on the job. God slept on the job. If God did not intend for there to be the fall, then he was sleeping on the job. Otherwise, he should have stopped the devil from going and tempting Adam and Eve. He should have just showed up and said to the devil, oh, no, 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 don't talk to them. These are my people. Or you should not have given them the commandment to not eat from the tree. God is not the God of Baal's prophets that were mocked by Elijah in First 1 Kings 18.27. If you still remember this from 1 Kings 18.27. And he says, so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a God Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. My friends, the sovereign God never sleeps, never slumbers. Our God never takes a siesta in some hammock somewhere on the beach. He is always working, micromanaging every little detail of his creation. And moving it to his appointed end. The devil cannot decree anything. No creature decrees anything. God alone decrees. And the decrees of God are eternal. They are immutable and are sovereign. Which means the devil was not even there when God decreed for there to be sin in the fall. The devil exists by God's decree. Will. Power and purpose. He is God's servant who does this bidding. Sin is not deity. Sin is not self-existing. Only God is self-existing. And so, sin could not have brought itself into existence. And if it did not exist eternally, then it only came into existence in time and that means it is creaturely And there are many angles to try and gain understanding of this matter. But if that understanding is not Christological and centered on God's glory, that understanding is useless. It produces too much heat without any light whatsoever. And the reason why many theologians and preachers are quick to run to human responsibility every time God's sovereignty is raised is because they do not know the glory of God in Christ Jesus. They do not know what this is really about. And so they want to use human responsibility as a cover and insulator of grounding God's sovereignty so as to weaken it. But when you weaken God's sovereignty, then you must needs exalt man. When you weaken God's sovereignty, you have an idol. A weakened sovereign is not God. He is an idol. A God who does whatever is good in his own sight is the true God and is worthy of worship. He is worthy of glory and honor. When men come up with these silly notions of God's sovereignty, it is not that they really care much about God or about human beings. But it is because they are ashamed and afraid of a God who is actually God, a God who exercises his sovereign rights. True sovereignty makes men scared that they are standing, that their destiny, that their eternity does not depend on them. It does not depend on their will or their effort or their running, but on God's sovereign Well, the scarce people. So they have to try and clean up God. But my friends, God is sovereign. Which simply means he does whatever he wants without any consequences to him. He does whatever he pleases with anyone, with everyone. And he has been doing whatever he wants from eternity. And shall continue to do so in eternity future. And he does not really appreciate his creatures questioning him. Ask Job. God does not appreciate bad theology either. Again, ask Job's friends. In Job 42 verse 7 says, And so it was, after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. God says, My wrath is aroused against you because of your bad theology. You have not spoken that which is right about me, about my absolute sovereignty. Right theology matters to God. And God will kill people for bad theology. God will kill people for bad theology. So God is sovereign And God is in the glory business. Everything about him is about showcasing his glory, showcasing his power, his majesty. Private businesses are about profit. And they do everything they can to make profit. They hire people. They train people. They buy new equipment. They advertise to influence customers so that they may increase the bottom line which is profit. They plan. They execute their plans. So that they may increase their stock price. But God is higher than that. He is in the glory business. And that is why he has the pride of man. And only God can give God glory. Only God can worship God. Why? Because perfection demands recognition. By one who can see it. Hollywood makes money because they sell human perfection. They lay the red carpet for their stars because the stars are paid to sell their perfection. But God is the only perfect being. He is most, He is most and infinitely glorious. And so His perfection demands the utmost recognition. His holiness demands perfect recognition. It needs to be celebrated. Every athlete competes to show their perfection in their respective sporting discipline. And so God determined to create things to get not glory, but to demonstrate glory. If he created to get glory, then he needs his creatures. Are you following me? But if it is to display the glory that he already has, He does not need them. God does not need anything. Creation participates in God's self-worship. And by participating, we are not increasing His glory. God is immutable and His glory does not increase to Him. It only increases in the eyes of those who behold it. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ prayed and said, In John 17.5 And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. The glory that Christ had with the Father before the world was. And he would pray again and say in John 17.24 Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. So the reason why God elected and gave people to Christ was so that they would come and behold his glory. The glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. Christ had glory before the foundation of the world. In John five twenty, Jesus said a similar thing when he said for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. God is about his glory and his glory is in Christ Jesus to make his creatures marvel in wonderment. God can only be known in the context of Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 7, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. My friends, God's power, His majesty, His honor, blessing and dominion, and all His glorious attributes have to be put on display because, as I said, perfection demands recognition. This rule is everywhere seen in God's creation. I'm sure you've seen birds courting in the Amazon and their perfect dances trying to win recognition and meeting rights. And that is why in Jude's benediction, he said in Jude 1, 24 and 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone, listen to this, is wise, be glory and majesty. Dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Creation is a way of God worshipping himself. Even the rocks recognize who Jesus Christ is and they worship him. Even the creatures in the deep sea know who Christ is and they worship him. Jesus said to the Jews who asked for him to silence his disciples, I tell you, if these become silent, The stones will cry out. In creation, God was displaying himself as God because there's not anyone or anything like him. Angels are not God and men are not like God even though he formed them in the image of himself. God is holy, which means he is separate. He is none other than anything in his creation. Holy angels only stand before him by grace. And if they are elect, it means they have their standing in Christ. For God elects nothing outside Christ. All things are through him and he blesses nothing outside Christ. If they are saints, they are elect and they stand only in Christ. Election is always to a remnant and according to grace, according to Romans 11.5. Because grace alone exalts God's glory in Christ. Grace alone removes any grounds of boasting, and sin permanently removes from a creature any ground of boasting whatsoever, forever. You have to understand that. Sin removes any grounds of boasting. God knows it, but men do not know that. Elect angels know something about sin, even though they never sinned. They know they are not pure enough in God's sight, and that is why they sing about God's holiness and not their own holiness. In Revelation 4, 8, it says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They sing about the holiness of God night and day, because God is holy. God alone is pure and unapproachable, friends. Nothing can be pure as God is pure. Holy angels stand by grace in Christ. The fallen angels fell by God's purpose for the same reason that Adam fell, which was Christ's glory. Jesus and his glory cannot be bypassed to heaven or to hell. That is why he was appointed the mediator of life and death. And God purposed that he would best display his glory to his creatures through Jesus Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2, nine, His creatures could not just show up to heaven standing on the strength of their own hind legs, standing on their own merits, standing on their own goodness, standing on their own effort. For that would exalt the creature and not God who is the possessor of both heaven and earth. God is unapproachable, friends he alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light whom no man has ever seen or is able to see. To him be honor and eternal power. That's First Timothy 6.16. Also Job 15 verses 14 to 16. Also Job 15 verses 14 to 16. What is man that he could be pure? And he who is born of a woman, that he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. Also consider Job 25, 4-6. to How then can man be righteous before God, or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm. So do you see what God actually thinks about man? Do you see the problem? God is holy and righteous and there is no creature that is intrinsically righteous by its nature. God is righteous in himself. And so whatever he does is righteous because he is righteousness in himself. He is the standard of righteousness and he is the standard of morality. He is the standard of goodness. And so whatever he does is righteous and is holy and is good. He is righteous if he does something and righteous if he does not do anything. But there's nothing that happens if he does not actively empower it. Door does not become donuts by itself. It needs someone to fry it. A God who is passive is not God. A God who is passive risks having a heart attack. A God who is passive risks getting surprised. But that is not God. That is Dagon. An idol who has to be propped up to remain standing. And so the God of the Bible, the true God, purpose to glorify himself in the third person of the Trinity. The glory of God is Christocentric, is Christ ascended. The Father loves the Son and true love always gives. So according to Jesus in John three thirty five, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All things into the hands of the Son, all power and authority into the hands of the Son. In John 5, 20 to 23, Jesus said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Did you hear that? The Father has committed all judgment to the Son, Why? Verse 23, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Salvation is for honoring Christ. Christ has to be honored the same way as the Father is honored because the Father loves the Son. And the Son and the Father share the same honor and exaltation. So all judgment was committed To the Son, that all may kiss the Son, lest he be angry. Psalm 2.12 The Son of God was to be glorified in salvation, friends. Adam had to fall to glorify the Son. Adam had to sin to glorify the Son. The devil had to fall to glorify the Son. There's nowhere in the New Testament that God talks about the glory of Christ outside redemption. The cross was the glory of Christ. Jesus was glorified on the cross and he glorified the Father on the cross. John seventeen, one and 4. The cross is the glory of God. And sin was the instrument by which God purposed to glorify himself in his Son as he saved his people. Sin is a very important ingredient in God's purpose of his glory. Without sin, there is no need for salvation. And Christ cannot be glorified in salvation this way. Without sin, the righteousness of God is not honored by his creatures. Sin honors the righteousness of God which is in the law by showing men that they can't attain to it by themselves. And so they need Christ and so Christ is glorified. Yes, sin is antithetical to God's nature but all things work out for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Sin works as the background to display His manifold wisdom, His glory, righteousness, holiness, grace, justice, mercy, wrath, you name it. These attributes are perfections of God. They can't be known, they can't be displayed without sin and could not be displayed and could not be known without the cross. The cross was just not in Jerusalem, friends. The cross was a cosmic work. Principalities and powers were disarmed by it. And in heaven they sing about it, they talk about it, and on earth we still talk about it, we preach about it, we believe it. And the number one selling book in history is the Bible that talks about Jesus and the cross and his glory. And his glory. So the cross needed the sin of man to accomplish its purpose. The cross needed the hatred of man, and sin is what works hatred in man. Those who put the Lord on the cross hated him without a cause because of sin, but exactly as God determined to be done. The cross of Jesus Christ was not plan B of God. Jesus was not revealed to remove the misery of man. If that were the sole purpose of Christ's coming, He would have served every man. Rather, Jesus was revealed redemptively, that is, in the context of salvation, that is, in the context of salvation from sin, that Jesus may be honored as the Father is honored in judgment and in salvation of sinners. Jesus was plan A from eternity, lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and so sin was God's plan A, from eternity because it is tied to the glorification of his son. And so we have to understand the relationship that exists between Jesus and the first Adam. And to get more understanding, we have to look more at Adam through the lens of Jesus and not Jesus in the lens of Adam. Did you hear me? If we have to understand anything, if we have to understand the origin of sin, the purpose of sin, we have to read the Bible with the lens of the glory of Christ. We have to read Adam through Jesus and not Jesus through Adam. Unfortunately and sadly, most theology books look at the fall of Adam through the lens of Adam, and that is wrong. If you look at sin from Adam's standpoint, then sin is an accident. And if you do that, then God is reactionary and Jesus is just a fire marshal. If you think the events of the Garden of Eden just happened because Adam and Eve were having a bad day and their minds were clouded by bad judgment because it was windy and cloudy, then we don't know what we're talking about. But if you look at sin from Jesus' lens with a view to his glory, then you see a glorious God who is in control of his creation, a God who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. If one does not approach the scriptures or any theological problem using the lenses of Christ and God's glory, they will make up all kinds of useless theology. Man exalting theology. Yes, Adam was created good. Adam was created innocent, but he was not Jesus Christ. He was only a type of him who was to come, according to Romans 5:14. Adam was only the shadow of Christ, but not the substance of Christ. For all the substance of God is only found in Christ. Colossians 2:17. The fullness of God is only found in Christ Jesus. He, Jesus, He, Christ, is the express image of God. Hebrews 1 3 says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself paged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Adam was innocent, but he was not like Jesus Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Adam was short on attributes as to give an obedience that leads to life. Adam was a man of the dust, and life can never come out of the man of the dust, Life can never be given by a man of the dust. Life does not belong to one who is of the dust. And that is why God had to breathe life into him in Genesis 2.7. But Jesus had life in himself. Jesus is the life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.25 And so he could give life. In John 10.17-18, Jesus said, Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me by I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Adam did not have this command from God. Adam did not have life to put down. Adam did not have power to take back his life. And so Adam did not have life to give. Life can only be given by one who is heavenly. The one who descended and ascended to heaven. Even the son of man who is in heaven. Life and righteousness could never be by the first Adam impossible. Adam was never going to obey as to end life. It is impossible because Adam as a creature did not have life in himself. And he did not have and intrinsic righteousness of himself either. And he could not give what he did not have. He is not the government. Adam could not print life like the government prints money. If Adam could have given life and righteousness, then Jesus died in vain. That would have meant that there was another legitimate way for God to give life outside Christ. But the scriptures emphatically deny that. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. There is no other way that God could give life and maintain his glory and stop men from boasting outside, giving life through the obedience of his Son. If men and women could bring stuff to heaven, we would not be able to make it with the mound of your haul trailers hauling and pulling wagons full of stuff, makeup kits, new suits, perfumes, you name it. Jesus could not die in vain because the glory of God was at stake. Jesus' death was about glory, friends. It was about giving him the spoils of all creation, his people. Isaiah fifty-three twelve says, Therefore I divide him a portion with the great, And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He shall dispossess the devil of his people. Because he has poured out his soul unto death. You see the connection with death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It is all about glory, friends. Glory is the sole driver of all God's dealings with his creation. The constant refrain in the scriptures about salvation is always so that no man can boast in his sight. And let him who glory, glory in who? Not in themselves, but in the Lord. First Corinthians 1.31, Second Corinthians 10.17, Jeremiah 9.24 20, And so Adam had to fall by God's decree, purpose, and will. Adam, though created good, could fall. How do we know that? Because he fell. Because he died. His goodness was not immutable. Only Jesus had goodness that was immutable. Adam was made like a stainless steel appliance. And all stainless steel appliances look good when they are made. And when you purchase them. But over time, when they get exposed to corrosive agents, they will rust, they will corrode. And so Adam rusted into sin when he was exposed to the corrosive force of the devil. But the devil was just an instrument to bring about the mutability that was already in Adam. The devil brought out what was bound to happen to Adam sooner or later and every man. And as long as we remained in the first Adam There was no hope for us. But a lot of people think that the fall was actually bad for us. But the fall was good news for us who are in Christ because it is through the fall that we have the righteousness of Christ now, not the righteousness of Adam. God does not accept the righteousness that is not his own righteousness. God does not accept righteousness from immutable man in exchange for immutable, eternal life. Like for like is the transaction of heaven. Christ Jesus brought immortality to life through his everlasting righteousness. And that is why Apostle Paul called his own righteousness according to the law, done and said he would rather be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Outside Christ, his own righteousness would have been the righteousness of the first Adam. But the righteousness that leads to life is that which is through the faith of Christ and not Adam. And this righteousness is of God and not man. But there's another, even more important reason why adam had to fall if adam had not fallen then god would have been forced by his holiness to honor the first adam in the place of christ he would have been forced to subject all things on earth and heaven not under jesus but under the first adam he would have been forced to sit adam on the right hand side For having accomplished something that Jesus alone could accomplish. God would have been forced to sum up, to head up all things in the first Adam and not in Christ. And that means Adam would have shared glory with Christ as God was subjecting all things to Christ. But John 3.35 denies that. John 3.35 says, The father loves the son. And has given all things into his hand. God loves Jesus. Jesus is the object of God's love. Not the first Adam. So all things pertaining to his glory. Are through the son. So all things are in Christ's hands. And not Adam's hands. So that in the dispensation. Of the fullness of the times. Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1.10. In Ephesians 1.10. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him in the fullness of times. God determined to gather in one all things in Christ. And to gather all things in Christ requires one to be deity. You can't gather all things In one who has no power to hold all things together. So Christ, we are told, holds all things by the word of his power. So he is able, he is qualified to hold all things together, which Adam could not. And the gathering of all things in Christ was done redemptively through the cross, through the blood of Christ, and because of sin. And things could only be gathered in Christ, as I said, because He is deity. And so the salvation, the salvation that we have in Christ is more secure than if we had possessed the righteousness of Adam, if we had possessed the innocence of the first Adam, because in Jesus all things consist. They hold together, they are secure, and that's security of salvation. so you are better off being in Christ. you are better off after the fall and being in Christ than just being innocent in Adam. So Adam had to fall for Christ's glory for God's glory. Adam had to fall that we may possess the righteousness of God in Christ. It's beautiful and so for us to possess the righteousness of Christ. We had to be sinners. So God decreed sin in his creatures and he brought it to pass. He accomplished it by his power and for his glory through his instruments. Sin provides the platform on which Christ would be exalted and God's attributes displayed in their utmost perfection, as I said earlier. So sin was not an idea of creatures. It was beyond their imagination to come up with such a top shelf idea that exalts Christ this way. That exiles God this way. This was all done according to the foreknowledge and predetermined counsel of God according to Acts 2 and X 4. It's God who predetermined it. He predestined it. And he brought it to pass. And so Lifting men's responsibility in things that are only the preserve of God's decrees takes away from God's wisdom and glory. And that, unfortunately, is the teaching of many men who have not been taught of God. When you contemplate on these things to God's glory, you don't waste time trying to clean up God's image. God is holy. And he is undefiled. And he cannot be defiled. And he does not need our theological mops to come, mop up his image, mop up his floor, mop up his kitchen. If God needs mopping, it is Christ who does the mopping. And Christ mobbed the image of God, the justice of God, the grace of God right on the cross by his own blood. He cleansed the image of God that God may be seen to be just and the justifier of those who come to him by Christ Jesus. And this is a call to worship, my friends. A call to humility and amazement at God's ways. In Romans eleven thirty three and 34, Apostle Paul would say, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, right? For of him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. The instruments that God used or uses to bring about his decrees are responsible for their actions because If they are sinful actions, they are contrary to God's holy nature. And yet that was exactly God's purpose. And that is a hard thing. But that is the only God there is in the Bible. And the only God you find outside the Bible. God is about God's business without compromise or apology. God does not apologize for his sovereignty. God says in Jeremiah 48.10, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. God does not do his own work deceitfully. He does it the Romans 9 way. I've been in Romans 9 many times in the past few weeks months because when you are teaching and preaching. And believing in a sovereign God is impossible not to go to Romans 9. Because in Romans 9, God displays himself to be God. He displays himself to be the sovereign one. And men do not like that. But this is what he says through the apostle Paul. In Romans 9, 14 to 23. What shall we say then? What shall we say then to the idea that sin did not just show up by itself, but it was by the decree and power and purpose of God. What shall we say? What shall we say to that? And, and the natural response of sinners is that it has to be unrighteous. But the apostle says, Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, may it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God says, I have the sovereign right to do whatever I want. And you do not have the right to question me. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. So it's not about your running. It's not about your doing. But it's about God who shows mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout the earth. God says, I am the sovereign one, and I even have raised Pharaoh to be the king of Egypt, that I may destroy him, that my name may be declared throughout the earth as is. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardens. God will have mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy, and he will harden whomever he wants to harden. That's sovereignty. That's power, my friends. And the reaction of natural man is, Thou will say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault for who has resisted his will? Why then does he find fault if he has me doing things that I can't do, that I have no power to control? It has to be unfair. How can God do that? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God, who are you? To reply against God. And when you are still replying against God. Then it means you don't understand who God is. If you understand who God is. As the sovereign power. As the sovereign one. Who does whatever is right in his own sight. You just worship. And say thank you Lord. It is the Lord. Let him do whatever is right in his own sight. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it. Why hast thou made me thus? God is the potter. And the clay has no freedom. They have no right to question why the potter has made them the way that they are. Why? Because he has not the potter power over the clay of the same lamp to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. He has the potter, not the power does he not have the right to make from the same lump of clay? You see, there's no difference between the clay. The difference only comes in what the potter determines to do with the clay because it is the prerogative and the right, the sovereign will of the potter, the freedom of the potter to do that which he pleases with that which is his. And friends, this is not being taught in the churches. This is not taught in the Gospels and that is why there is so much foolishness in the pulpits. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known and enjoyed with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? God is willing to be long-suffering towards the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He has made some vessels for destruction, prepared for destruction. And a lot of people just come up with all kinds of gymnastics. They start to stutter. They start to just say all kinds of foolish things when it comes to that. It's clear what the text is saying. The text is saying that God as the porter has prepared some vessels, some people, and has fitted them for destruction. It's God who does it. The text says it's God who does it. It has nothing to do with the free will of the clay. It's not the clay that determines itself to be a vessel of destruction. It's the porter who determines which part of the clay is going to form to be a vessel of destruction. Do we get that clear? This has nothing to do with human free will, my friends. The clay has no free will. Verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. So the sovereign one has prepared vessels of glory, vessels of honor that he is going to display to all the denizens of heaven and say, look, what I brought from this clay, this clay that was riddled with sin and condemnation, I cleaned them up. I brought them here. I gave them life. That's glory, my friends. What is all that saying? It is saying there's no unrighteousness with God even when he does things that are contrary to the opinions of his creatures. God is not running for office. God is not trying to get into the White House. God is not running a campaign. God is not looking for donors. God is not in this business to please creatures. He does all things for his good pleasure. Unrighteousness does not belong to God, but to his creatures. If God does it, whatever it is, it is right because it is him doing it. If he prepares some vessels for dishonor, it is right because God is doing it. There is no law against God preparing some vessels for honor and some vessels for dishonor for no other reason than to display his glory. And this is what is lacking in the understanding of many theologians and churches. God's righteousness is not defined for him by man. He is the Lord. No one replies against him and no one questions him. He is the potter and all creation is clay in his hands. God does not have a suggestion box anywhere in heaven. He made the clay and he has the right and freedom to do whatever he wants, to dispose it as he sees fit for his glory, making some vessels of honor from sinful flesh and some vessels of dishonor prepared for destruction. And he is glorified in the salvation of the vessels of mercy as he is glorified in destroying the vessels of dishonor and don't forget the subject is sin the gospel and Christ's glory the clay is sinful clay (laughs) from the same lamp of fallen humanity God has prepared vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor that way he is glorified and So we see that in the book of Revelation when Jesus is honored it is always in the context of his work of salvation as the lamb slain not as a good teacher and not as some moral example. The lamb was slain according to God's purpose. Acts 2.23 Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And Acts 4:27 and 28 says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God purposed sin, because it was the instrument by which he was going to glorify himself and his son. And for this reason, worthy is the lamb. <laughs> Christ is worthy as the lamb to receive honor, glory and blessing because he was slain because of our sin. The honor and dignity of Christ was put forth to shine on the cross on account Of sin Revelation 5 verses 4 to 14 says this is the exaltation of Christ in the context of salvation and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon and one of the elders saith unto me weep not behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them haps and golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, hear that, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, verse 11, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them. Was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them had I saying, Blessing and honor, and glory, and power, and be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever, and the four be said, Amen. And the four and the twenty-four elders fell down, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever, Amen, Amen, Amen. Do you hear that? Christ being exalted as the Lamb slain, Before the foundation of the world. And being found worthy. To open the seven seals. And it was because of his death. On the cross. That he was qualified. To open the book. So without God purposing. To glorify his son. We would be weeping forever. Because the first Adam. Was not worthy to open. And read the book. With the seven seals. Seven is the Hebrew number. For completion, perfection, that is a complete and perfect seal and only Christ, the perfect one, the complete one could open it. This is the book with all of God's inheritance in Christ for his people and it was only through sin that Christ was appointed and qualified. It was through Christ redeeming us because of sin that he was appointed and qualified to open it up for his people. The church. Look again. At what made him qualified. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying. Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals of Why? For thou wast slain. And has redeemed us to God. By thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue. And people and nation. So they humbled. But exalted Christ is humbled to death on the cross because of sin. But he also is exalted because of his overcoming sin, death, and condemnation. As Apostle Paul would tell us in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, say, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, a slave and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. So Christ became obedient even to death on the cross, that he may remove the curse of the law, that he may remove the curse of the law because of sin. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ was humbled because of our sin. But was also exalted by being given the name above all names because of his finished work. So in conclusion, we are finishing. Yes, we are finishing today. This is my point. I'm trying to get you to think about this matters in a theologically sensible way because God has given us a lot of data to put together and get understanding. When you're talking about the origin of sin, we are talking about first cause. There's nothing that is in existence that is not first caused by God himself. When we're talking about first cause, we are talking about What causes something to exist? What happens in time is an outworking of God's eternal decrees. God is the first cause of sin. But he is not a sinner. Because deity can't sin. And there's no law against God decreeing sin. And God does not answer to anyone. That's just the point that men stumble. God is not answerable to you. God is not answerable to angels. God is God. He is above all rule and authority. So repent from that nonsense of saying God is a sinner. God cannot sin. And decreeing sin and decreeing whatever happens, whatever comes to pass is not sin for him. He is doing whatever is good in his own sight. In the Bible, Only created moral and mutable creatures sin, as I said. Only fallen angels and men sin because they are created moral beings. They are mutable and they are under God. Lions are never charged for murdering hyenas on the African plain because they are not moral beings. God is immutable And is above all rule and authority. And there is no law against God. Decreeing. And bringing about sin in his creatures. It serves his glory. And that of Christ. There is a reason why movie theaters. Show their movies in the dark. And it is so that the pictures. May look glorious in high definition. And so sin. Is God's way. Of dimming the lights. As it were. For the perfect dark background dark screen that he may display his glory in christ jesus human responsibility is not the first cause of anything it only comes in as a secondary cause and it manifests sin so yes god makes humans responsible for sin but he ordained it that we may do it that he may be glorified in removing it he is the first cause and men and angels are secondary causes but because he is God and is sovereign he puts the blame on secondary causes and secondary causes have no power or right to argue otherwise as we learned in Romans 9 and Job 38 to 42 Judas Iscariot was a secondary cause in the betrayal of Christ. And yet, it is God who ordained and empowered his sin for his glory, and yet made him responsible for his sin. I pray this piece will help you to think and contemplate this very difficult and theologically complex matter in a more gospel and Christological way that exalts God for who he is and not human will. May you ask God to teach you this is not a doctrine. That men teach you. It can't be taught by man. God has to teach you. Ask him to teach you who he is. Ask him to show you the glory of his ways. Because his ways are past finding out. And so men, they grow up in the dark. Just making up all kinds of foolish things. God is sovereign, my friends. And God is in the business of glory. May he be praised. Now and forever. Amen. Let us pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, to worship you and thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself in Him and giving all power and authority to Him. We thank you for qualifying Him to be the one who is able, as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, to be worthy to open the seven seals. We thank you, Lord, for this teaching. I pray for those who shall listen, and who have listened, that you may open them to some understanding. And Lord, I pray. This is Pastor James Guyo, and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a sovereign grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com. To hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berian Sovereign, and you'll we'll see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may He serve you for His sake for Christ's sake, and for the sake of his gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. It is always that you would forgive where we have heard, where I have said things that are not correct, not being merciful for the sake of Christ. For we seek to understand these things. I pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.